A couple of weeks ago, we began this uh, series of messages called The Gospel, and we began the series by looking at uh, the question, why am I here? And as we looked at that question, Pastor Philip began to answer that question and look to God's Word. Scripture teaches us while we're here, uh, why are we here? And, and uh, perhaps, uh, as I pointed out, the Westminster Confession, which Baptists don't spend a lot of time worrying about, but it's an important confession. The Westminster Confession, I think, answers the question, uh, why am I here? It, it says uh, that the chief end or aim of man or humanity, the chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. The purpose that God has given us is to know Him and to enjoy Him forever. And so that is our purpose. Our purpose is to honor Him with our lives, to glorify Him, to have friendship with Him. But we have a problem, and that's what we looked at last week. There's a problem that blocks us from experiencing our purpose. And so we live our lives longing to, uh, to experience life in all of its fullness through friendship with God, uh, to uh, experience fulfillment and meaning in our life by honoring Him and knowing Him and enjoying uh, friendship with Him, but, but we don't know God. We, we know about Him. We, we uh, uh, go to churches and we talk about Him, but, but we don't know God because our sin has separated us from God. And that's what this safe was all about. The safe, if you remember, is a picture of us longing for hope and life, but not able to get it because it's locked away inside the safe. We look at our lives and we say, you know, I really want, and whatever that dot, dot, dot is, whatever the fill in the blank is, that is what we're looking to, 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 to be the answer for our life. And all of us have a fill in the blank and all of us have had fills in, fill in the blanks. And we've been looking for whatever that, that is to, to satisfy us, to, to fulfill us, to give us hope and life and peace and purpose. And we're all on that search. And, and so uh, as, as people in need, we look inside this safe and this safe is, is our life. And we look inside and we say, if I could just get whatever that is inside that safe, if I could unlock the door and open it up, then I would have exactly what I need inside the safe. If you're a hungry person, if you're starving for food, what's inside the safe is food. If you're uh, dying of thirst, what's in the, inside the safe is water. If, if, you're, if you're lost in the darkness and, and what's inside the, the safe is, is light that leads you home. If, if you are dead on the inside, what's inside the safe is life. And that's what we need. Ultimately and finally, everyone ever born needs life, not just uh, not just walking, talking, living, breathing. You need life on the inside. You need fullness and purpose and peace. But, but we can't get hold of it. We're still longing for it. We're, we're still searching for it. So we punch the numbers. And we, we do our best to punch these numbers. And we say, if I could just get the right combination of circumstances and, and the right uh, a combination of relationships, if I could just put those relationships in order and put my circumstances in order, then I could, no, it still doesn't work. And so uh, we, we, we punch the numbers. By the way, do you want to know, I told you, I think last week, the reason the numbers didn't work on the safe is because the battery to make it work doesn't, 
I didn't put any batteries in it. There, there is no set of numbers that will unlock that door. There is no code. And, and it leads to frustration. Now, I think that's how many people feel every day of their life. They're frustrated. They're frustrated because they want something that they cannot get. They, they want something significant in their life that they cannot take hold of. They need hope. But all they have is the bitter taste of despair. Now, those are the people that we encounter every day. Many of you are in this room experiencing that kind of, that kind of frustration in life. You're trying to get what, and, and man, we, we have been taught, oh my goodness, if you just, if you just uh, get, re- get with the right person, then you'll have what you need. It doesn't work. You say, oh, if you just work real hard, you get the right job. Get the right job. Put in your 40 hours for 40 years and you'll be satisfied. Some of y'all work for a while. How does that work? You know what I'm saying? Oh, if, we could just, if we could just have the right set of circumstances coincide with the right setup for our relationships, then we'd have the combination solved and that'd be all there is. But the problem is it just doesn't work. And the people that are around us and even some in this room today, you are, you are swallowed up in hopelessness. That's our need. And we're trying to open the safe. We're trying to get in the box, but we can't get there. And, and I, know, I know most of us are followers of Jesus in this room. Most of us have been transformed by his grace. But can I tell you, church, followers of Jesus, can I just suggest that maybe the reason your life is a little bit lackluster, maybe the reason you're miserable, maybe the reason that even as a follower of Jesus, you feel a sense of despair is because you're looking to something other than Jesus to give you hope. I mean, I get it, I do. You look at your life and maybe you're looking at a set of circumstances that are overwhelming, a mountain of problems that are uh, too high to scale, maybe emotional situations in your life and setbacks in your circumstances or relationships that have crumbled right before your eyes. And maybe you're the recipient of such pain, both physically, emotionally, and and spiritually. You're, you're You're just a crumbled mess. But friends, as a follower of Jesus, we must be people of hope. And I'm not just talking about getting to heaven when we die. I'm talking about Jesus is the one who, if we will cling to him, he will give us hope in the here and now. He will give us fulfillment no matter what we're facing. I believe that if I look to the hills and I ask the question, whence comes my help? I believe as a follower of Jesus that my help will come from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ is my hope. He is my life. But I haven't always lived like that, right? I mean, come on, right? I mean, even as a follower of Jesus, I, I, I believe. I believe correctly. I mean, I got it in my head. Jesus is my hope, but, but am, I, am I living that? Can, can I, and, and again, if you're a follower of Jesus, just look at me and hold on to me just for a second, okay? Um, just lean into this thought. 
If you're a follower of Jesus and you're looking to something other than Jesus to give your life meaning, purpose, and hope, then you have created an idol. And today that idol needs to be destroyed. Now, I, 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 I don't want to meddle too much, but I do want to get specific here. If you think that there is some relationship other than your relationship with Jesus that will give your life meaning, purpose, and hope, you've created an idol that is robbing you of hope. If, if you think that a job or a, a, a a different relationship or a better relationship or if you think that oh if I get more money then I'll have hope you've created an idol and that idol needs to be destroyed if if you're if there's anything I mean anything my another my, my if I can get a promotion I get the next level in my profession if I can if I can somehow Get a little bit more joy out of my everyday life. You know, whatever it is, that is an idol. Anything that you're looking to, I mean anything, whatever it is, anything that you're looking to, and you say, that's what's going to give me hope, that's what's going to give me life, that's what's going to satisfy me, that's all I need. Then you have created an idol, and it needs to be destroyed. I get it. I've lived it. It's got to be crushed, demolished. My prayer is that we live in the rubble of idols that have been destroyed today. And that we come up out of the ashes of those destroyed, fake pieces of pottery we have created to make ourselves feel better about us. And we start looking to Jesus is our only hope. Look, the message that we've got to get today is that God gives us what the world can't. God provides for us what we can't provide for ourselves. There is nothing, there is no ideology, there is no relationship, there is no perspective, there is no wobbly worldview that can give you significance and meaning and purpose and hope and satisfaction other than Jesus. That's it. Now, you might not believe that. You might not buy it, but can I just say, please, I beg you, just hold on and let God begin to speak, okay? And, and I mean that. Let God begin to speak, to your heart. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy, and, and we're looking at how God provides hope through Jesus. Um, while you're turning, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at, at verses uh, 12 through 15. We're going to focus in on verses 14 and 15. But as you're turning there, um, I, I, one of the things I love is to read biographies. Y'all know what a biography is, right? Everybody know what a biography is? A biography is a book written about somebody else. One main character. Most recently, I read a, a, a biography of Andrew Jackson. <laughs> I was trying to understand our president. I didn't. Still don't. But 
That's why I read the biography of Andrew Jackson. Uh, By the way, we think it's rough and tumble today in the White House. We ain't seen nothing compared to Andrew Jackson. Oh, my goodness. Do you realize that when he was inaugurated, on his inauguration day, his crew, his populous people who came to the inauguration, they invaded the White House. They tore the White House up. I mean, they had such a raucous party that, I mean, I mean, they tore the furniture out of its place. I mean, I'm just saying, nothing's really that new, all right? So anyway, so uh, Andrew Jackson, I, I love I've, uh, Alexander Hamilton, love reading about Alexander Hamilton. What an interesting character. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, great, great biography on Benjamin Franklin that I read a couple of years ago, spectacular. Uh, Alexander the Great. Oh, that is, that is a scary dude of way back when. Oh, one of the things about these characters in history, about a biography, somebody sits down and write a book about someone else, the best biographies begin after, after this biographer, after this author has gone through this person's life, done all the research, the biographer decides, okay, this is a theme of this person's life. This, there is a theme, a, a, a singular theme that, 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 that ties this person's life together. From beginning to end, there is a theme. And the best biographies in the books, the books, the, the best biographies are the ones that understand what that theme is and, and, and tie the whole, every chapter is leading up to the theme, is, is defining the theme, is, is creating a, a platform for that theme to rise to the top. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we hear Paul give the theme of his life. The theme, the, the, the one thing that, that tied his life together. So, so let's look, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and uh, let's begin in verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. says, now Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into his service. Although... I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorance when I was an unbeliever. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to rescue sinners of whom I am chief. Now, the theme that ties Paul's life together, it's not just here, but it's throughout. The theme that ties Paul's life together is that, 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 that he was a sinner. A sinner. And, and that is a very unique part of his story, but it's also very universal. It is unique. Your sin is unique to you in the sense that you sin in a unique way. You sin with unique motives. There is uniqueness to your sin, but sin is universal. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's why this is locked. Why life is, is, is out of our reach is because we have sinned, and that sin has separated us from God. Now, Paul says, I was a sinner, and he described his unique sin that was universal. It was that he was a persecutor. He was a blasphemer against God, and he was an insolent man. That term insolent 
uh, is, uh, is, uh, comes from the Greek adjective uh, from which we get our word hubris. So insolent here is pointing to the pride that Paul had. Now, you and I, we, and especially if you're a follower of Jesus, been raised in the church, we, we love to look at other people's sins, don't we? I, I mean, it's sad, but it's true. It's, it's this, we love to, to look at the sins of others and say, boy, they're bad. Oh, look how bad they are. We stand with stone ready to unleash on somebody else, right? I mean, ooh, look at how bad. Now, now that's, I'm not saying that we shouldn't call sin a sin. There, I mean, we need to be clear about what sin is. And when the Bible calls something a sin, that's a sin. That settles it. I'm not trying to defend that. What I'm saying is I need to be very careful about throwing stones at somebody else's sin when I've got such a log of sin in my own eye. You remember Jesus kind of said it that way. He said, what are you doing talking to somebody else about their sin when you've got such big sin in your own life? I'm not saying we don't judge sin. We do. We we are discerners of sin in my life and others' life, but I better make sure that I'm discerning sin in my life. I need to begin right here. I don't need to begin with you. I need to begin with me. One of the greatest and most painful journeys that I have to take every time I prepare to deliver a message to you is I've got to deal with the sin in my own life before I talk to you about the sin that, that I have to talk about. So before I stood up here and talked about Paul being an insolent man or talking about you and me being insolent people, I had to deal with the fact that I was insolent. By the way, do you realize, now the Bible tells us about sin, whether it's sexual sin or, or, or moral uh, violations or relational violations, they, it talks about all these sins. In the church, we love to point out particular, we have our favorite pet sins to decry. You know, we, oh, I can't believe that person is so wicked and evil because they do that sin, you know. Got to say it in that voice too, right? And we pick on those sins and man, we'll, we'll, preacher, if you just say homosexuality is a sin, we give you a big amen. You know what the Bible says is the queen of all sin? Your pride. I mean, your pride, my pride. We love to scream about sin that we don't have a problem with. But the Bible tells us we better deal with the sin that is overwhelming us. And that is the sin of pride. And I don't see anybody in this room that doesn't struggle with that sin. So instead of standing in arrogance and pride, over someone who's struggling with their own particular flavor of sin, we better be humble before a holy God because we got pride eating us up on the inside. That's free and it's not in the notes. But we better. All right, so anyway, so Paul begins his story and he says, I am a sinner. But that's not the story. That's not the whole of the story. That's just a part of the story. See, that's not the whole. The whole of the story is I am a sinner who has been saved by Jesus. He said the, 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 the mercy, the, the grace of God was exceedingly abundant with the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. He said, he said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance 
that Jesus Christ came into the world to rescue sinners of whom I am chief. Listen, the story of the apostle Paul was I was separated from God by my sin, but Jesus unlocked the door and gave me life. I was separated from life through my sin, but Jesus came and died on a cross for me to rescue me. Paul said, I have hope. Now, friends, you and I have hope, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We have hope, and this is a commodity that the world cannot give. Look, please hear this. There is no other place where we can find hope other than God. You're not going to find it any other place. Hope. When I talk about hope, I'm talking about that, that sustaining power and confident expectation that I have life. It is that things are going to turn out better. It's this idea that, 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 that there is something going to happen. And, and even though I'm immersed in a whirlwind of disaster and pain and struggle, I see God in the midst of my whirlwind. And he's holding me up and he's helping me out and he's strengthening me. I have hope. It is not a wish. It is a confidence. I have hope. The spirit of God is enabling me and enlivening me so I can live today in the face of uncertainty and pain and struggle and difficulty and, and, and broken relationships and fragile uh, finances. I, I, can, I can stand with joy because Jesus is with me. Jesus came to give me hope. I've got hope today. The world can't give that. The world has tried to give that. You're not going to get hope any place other than God. You can try. Many of you have. Many of you will continue. But it is a fruitless journey. The only place we get hope is from God. That's what Paul is trying to get Timothy to get hold of. He's saying, okay, you need to understand, Timothy, when you talk to people, you need to talk to them, explaining to them where they can have hope. Not trusting in fate, not trusting in your own efforts, not trusting in relationships and getting uh, the, 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 the right set of circumstances to coincide with the, the right equation of relationships. He said, he's saying, that, that's not how you're going to give them hope. You give them hope by telling them the theme. And the theme is that this is a faithful and a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is the theme. The theme is that Jesus came into the world. Now, when Paul said Jesus came into the world, he, 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 that makes sense. That's a historical reality. That's that, that's not a make-believe statement. That's, that's absolute truth, right? I mean, Jesus came into the world. Even people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they would say Jesus came into the world. Do you realize that the devil knows that Jesus came into the world, right? I mean, so that's a historical statement. But, but, and so that's good. We like that historical statement. But, but Paul was talking about something more significant than just the history lesson that there was a man from... Uh, named Jesus from Nazareth that was born. What he's saying here is he's pointing to where did Jesus come from? Jesus came into the world. Well, he was sent 
by God. Jesus came into the world. Jesus is God. Jesus, from the very beginning of time, before the sun, moon, and stars ever found their place in the sky, before there was ever water uh, uh, in, in the seas, before there was ever any stream uh, flowing through the stream beds, before there was grass on the hills, before there was, before there was a, a, a fish in the sea, no, before anything, before life itself, before light itself, before anything but darkness itself. There is Jesus from the very beginning of time to the very end of time, before time began, even after time ends, there is Jesus. Jesus from the very beginning was and is always God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. That that means something to us. Now, when we think of Jesus came into the world, we think of Christmas, and that's good. I like Christmas. Don't you like Christmas? But when you think of Christmas, you're not thinking deep enough. Jesus came into the world. We need to look back before time began, see that Jesus is in heaven, and Jesus is with God, and Jesus is God. But Jesus determined that he would relinquish his right to the throne room of heaven and leave heaven's uh, glory to be born in a manger in a stable that Jesus let go heaven to be to to be a, a, a man flesh and bone that Jesus slipped his deity in the skin of humanity that he became a baby Jesus came into the world now why in the world would God become man To show the infinite and mobile, powerful, passionate love of God for you and me. Jesus became a man because he knew that we couldn't open this box by ourselves. Jesus became a man because he knew that our sin had separated us from God and we can't reach him. Jesus became a man Because he knew we can't get to God, so he's going to bring God to us. Jesus came into this world. The second thing we see is Jesus came into this world with a purpose. And that purpose was to rescue sinners. Not only do we have the incarnation, God become flesh and bone, but now we have redemption. That Jesus went to a cross to die for sinners like you and me. Jesus came to save sinners. And by the way, you're a sinner. And you need saving. And I'm a sinner and I need saving. There's only one place where rescue can come. And that is through Jesus, who is God, who lived a holy life, who went to a cross and took the penalty of our sin upon himself, was killed on that cross, was buried in the ground, and was raised three days later to give us new life. This is where our hope resides. It's not in me punching a bunch of formula to try to get into the safe. It's Jesus himself coming with key in his hand, opening the door and saying, here is God, have life. We have hope, not because we can save ourselves, not because we've done anything to get us hope. We have hope from one place and one place only, and that is that Jesus has rescued us and continues to rescue us. 
That's why Peter said it this way. He said, for Christ suffered once on account of sin. The just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God. That's why Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, he said for God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Friends, listen. Our hope is not in what we do. Our hope is in Jesus alone. Only in him rescuing me do I have hope. And that rescue... Ah, can I talk to the church for a second? You're a follower of Jesus. Can I just talk to you for a second? Somewhere along the way, we, we realize that Jesus is my only hope for rescue. And, and so we, we come to Jesus in faith and, and, and we repent our sin and we cling to him. We say, Jesus, will you forgive my sin? And, and, and I commit my life to you and I commit to follow you. So Jesus, thank you for saving me and forgiving me. And, and, and we, we go through that journey and we commit our life to Christ. And, and, and that's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it's life transforming, life changing. And then somewhere down the road, on our journey, we start thinking in terms of, well, if it's going to get done, it better get done by me because ain't nobody else going to do it. Somewhere along the line, we start thinking, even as a follower of Jesus, well, if I'm going to have hope, it's because I'm going to work real hard to get it done. I know the majority of people in this room are followers of Christ. I recognize that. So can I ask you, what is that X factor in your life that you are looking to that you say, if that X factor will get done, then I will have exactly what I need? New job, more money, different relationship, freedom from disease, fixing your emotional trauma. That's mine, by the way. God help me. You, you wonder why I have emotional trauma. Guys, I'm the only guy in a house full of women. Why wouldn't I have emotional trauma? Hey, you think about it, though. Look, 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 look. I even know couples who have had all boys or all girls, and they say, man, if I could just have the others. You know, if I have all girls, man, if I just have that boy, then my life would be perfect. Have you lost your mind? Oh, if I could just have that girl, my life would be perfect. Really? Look, I understand. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of the pain that you're experiencing because I understand it. I mean, I live it too. I'm not Superman up here. I mean, I, I, I look to other things to try to, if I can just get whatever that thing is, then I could have, that, my life would be all right. But can I just humbly suggest that maybe, just maybe, that you need to depend more on Jesus rescuing you here and now, not just for heaven, but here and now. And instead of looking to something out there, some intangible that you can take hold of, some relationship that's not existent, some, some job that, that uh, honestly, you get the job today, you're going to hate it in a month. I, I mean, and, uh, at least parts of it. You know, I mean, uh, how many of y'all have a perfect job? 
I mean, just right there. If you, if you raised your hand, you haven't been there long enough. Well, I don't mean that ugly, but you know why we don't have perfect jobs? Because we we're not perfect people and we don't live in a perfect world. I mean, the problem that we have as followers of Jesus is that we were saved by trusting in Jesus alone. We chose him. He chose us. It changed us. He unlocked the safe and he gave us life and we rejoiced. But then, somewhere along the journey, we started getting cocky and confident in our own ability to handle life. And then we decide, you know what? What I really need to do is I need to start working a little bit harder and get a different solution to my problems. And we forget that Jesus is the only solution. Remember, anything, please, anything that you're looking toward, that you're depending on to give you hope and life and meaning and significance other than Jesus is an idol that needs to be destroyed. I've shared this before. My wife is more gracious than anybody I know because I know how wicked I am and how gracious she's been to me. My wife is so wonderful and so precious and so so merciful, so patient. My wife is the best wife I could ever, ever want in my life. Best relationship I could ever hope to have. But if I'm counting on my wife to give me hope and purpose and joy and meaning, I put put something on her that she can't handle. She's not equipped for that. Only Jesus is equipped for that. And as followers of Jesus, we start making idols out of things that don't have any place being idols. I beg you, I really do, I beg you, as a follower of Jesus, will you start clinging to Jesus instead of your own efforts? Will you start Pursuing him with such a passion that that you really believe that he is the answer and he is your hope. Will you really start living? You claim to be a follower of Jesus. Will you start living as one who is following Jesus with such passion? Not following Jesus every now and then because he's a good idea and maybe he can help you out of your struggle or your problem. But following Jesus because he is your only hope. He's your only lifeline. He's he's your only source of strength. He's the only one who can satisfy. Start following Jesus like he is the bread for a hungry person. He is the water for one dying of thirst. And he is the light for those of us lost in the darkness. And he is life for us every day.
This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into this world to rescue sinners of whom I am chief. I got to tell you, I know that in my life. I mean, I know it. I am a chief sinner. And the only theme of my life that has any kind of significance is that Jesus has rescued me. And that Jesus is rescuing me. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus came into the world to rescue sinners of whom you are chief. Do you feel that? I mean, do you feel that? Let the Spirit of God pierce the callousness of your soul, the hardness of your heart, the hubris of your spirit. This is our theme. If indeed we're followers of Jesus, not that we've got it all together because I look around here and I don't see anybody who's got it all together but simply Jesus came to rescue me and oh how I need his rescue not just to get me to heaven but to hold me up in hope every day I need Jesus So if you're a follower of Jesus today, I beg you, please, I beg you, don't leave that idol up in your soul. Oh, please, let the Spirit of God shatter it. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I just, I beg you, choose Christ today. There's no way that you're going to live without him. There's no way that you're going to experience the fullness of life without him. There's no way that you're going to be forgiven for sin without him. There's no way that you're going to be satisfied without him. Choose Christ today. That means you repent your sin. It means you place your faith in Jesus. It means you give him all that you are and you commit to follow him all the days of your life. Commit to Jesus. Choose Jesus today. Every time I speak, I don't always do a good job. You know, I really don't. I know that. I watch myself on Mondays or Tuesdays. But the one thing I try to do is I try to be as honest and real with you all as I possibly can. And I want you to know that if I don't have Jesus... 
I don't have hope. And there are things in my life that I put up on a pedestal and I exalt and I try to, I try to figure out how I can have hope without following Jesus and it always falls flat. This past week, man, I'm telling you, I was overwhelmed with a sense of burden over the idols that I created in my own life. The things that I'm holding on to to give me hope, thinking that it's okay and it's not. It's, it's, it's fake and it's false and it's empty and it's incomplete. And I don't want you to play this church game and go through the church motions and lead this church building thinking that everything's okay if you're still bowing at an altar of an idol as a follower of Jesus. You know what amazes me? I did a wedding yesterday, and if, if we did weddings and we put in the vows, if my wife or my husband is unfaithful to me, I will still forgive them and live with them till the day they die. If we put that in the vow, I, I mean, I, I'd be fired. They, they, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're like, hey, you're not going to put... I mean, it's hard for us to imagine how that someone being unfaithful to us and I'm going to stay with them. And I'm, I'm not talking about marriage here. I'm talking about Jesus. Do you know that's exactly what Jesus has committed to do to us? No matter how many times we're unfaithful to him, he's committed to stay married to us. No matter how many times. No matter how many times. Oh, that's my Jesus. And he is the only one who can give me hope.